I want to share with you guys um, that, that we've been on this series called The Church. What kind of church does God want on the ground now that we are here? Not just on the ground here in Sungai Bulo, but also what kind of church does God want on the ground wherever you are? Wherever you are, God wants you to be a building, a, a pillar, a stone, a living stone. That's what the, the church is. A living stone on of the temple of God wherever you are. He wants a set-apart church, separated unto Him. He wants a loyal church, a church that is covenanted to Him, covenanted to the King. He wants a church that is fervent, a church that is fervent in faith, in prayer, in love, in, 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 and, and that's what our church is going to be. He wants a courageous church, courageous first with ourselves, and then courageous to step out into, into the things out there, the great unknown. He wants a church that understands that the miraculous points to Jesus and the miraculous cannot be confined to some formula, right? He wants a church that is authentic. Why authentic? He wants a church that is authentic to each other, but also authentic to ourselves, right? He wants a church that is compassionate with soft hearts, renewed hearts, right? And compassionate for what he is doing and, and to share his desires. And so we've reached the end of an eight-part series on what kind of church God is looking for to be on the ground, on one level, here in Sungai Buloh, on another level, exactly where you are. Today, I want to share with you how God is looking for a welcoming church. So everybody say welcoming church. Somebody type into the Zoom chat, welcoming church. Somebody shout out here, a welcoming church, okay? Do you guys like to walk into a cold and distant church? Anybody here? Like, oh, that's my jam, right? I, I, I go to church. I'm looking for a church that doesn't look at me like aloof. How many of y'all want an aloof church? No? No, sure not. Sure not. Yeah? How many of y'all want, want, want a church with a, with a cold atmosphere? Yeah? No? Sure? You're, you guys sure? Then if, hey, how many of you guys online, you want an aloof, cold church? No? Then, you, then we have to, because we are the church. Right? So, so, so if we don't want to call a Louvre church, then we have to be the warm, welcoming church, right? We can't wait for someone. There's no somebody else is going to be the warm, welcoming church. If it is to be, it has to be me, right? right? If, it if it is to be, it has to be a... Nobody can hear. Online cannot hear physical. How? How? What? Welcoming church. If it is to be, it has to be me. Okay, okay, okay. Online, I want y'all to tell me whether y'all can hear the Disara crowd. Okay, okay. Can I? Disara crowd, can online hear you? If it is to be, it has to be me. All right, that's good. And that is so true, you know. It is so true, right? Be the change. You want to see all these are like, what? Even out there in this world, everybody is, is constantly saying all these catchphrases ad nauseum. But there is truth in it. That's why people keep repeating it, right? Uh, um, uh, be the change you want to be, you want to see. You want a welcoming church, you have to be a welcoming church. Don't wait for welcome. Well, by the way, welcoming church is not welcome team church, okay? It's not welcome. You know, you, you go to church, there's always a welcome team. Usher will give you a nice handshake, pre-COVID nice handshake. Now, at most, a nice face bump, right? Big smile, but with face mask, now cannot see big smile, but then got a wave, right? Okay, welcoming church is, is uh, um, the barista last time will make you a coffee. Hi, good morning. Here's a coffee. You want black or white? You know, um, welcoming church is the usher. Will, how you want to find a seat? A uh, 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 sanctuary, duck, duck. Never mind. I walk you to your seat. Then you walk you. You know, that's welcoming church. After church, hospitality room. Somebody is hey, but then uh, welcoming church is not just for the volunteers or, or in the welcome team. Uh. Well, welcoming church is everybody, you know, right? So there was once I was in Singapore and I visited this church. Uh, uh, and, and I didn't know what to expect, you know. I sat down and the guy sitting next to me immediately started chatting with me. And I was like, wow, wow, so nice of, of you, right? And I talked to this guy and then he was like, I, don't, I never discovered whether he was a cell leader and therefore he is well-trained, whether he is a welcome team guy who is not on duty, that's why he has all the chops, you know, and he's sitting next to me, or whether that church just has a fabulous culture. Right? Whether that church just has a fabulous welcome culture, right? Maybe it was the latter, right? Maybe it was that. But you know what? 
ever since that I visited the church all of once, because it's not like I go to Singapore so much to go to church. But until today, whenever people ask me, hey, Pastor Fox, you know any church in Singapore? You know, out of the names of church I will rattle off, theirs will be one of them. And I will always reference that one guy who talked to me. Hey, maybe the church is a... Maybe a church is a super cold, aloof church. Who knows, right? But one guy was good, right? And But the one guy made the difference. And he made the, the lasting impression on me. Until today, I cannot forget, right? So it doesn't matter if everybody else in the hall huh, actually is warm or is aloof and cold. Actually, I would never know. All I know is the one guy next to me, two chairs away from me, but he reached out, right? All I know is that guy gave me such a lasting impression of welcome. Somehow I was in Singapore. It was really nice to go to, a, to, to an unfamiliar place and be welcomed so warmly. Friends, church, this is exactly the same. When, we come, when people come into your church, into our church, you know, um, they're walking into our turf. You know, we, we also always say this to our serving team and we will continue to say that this is my house. I'm a son and daughter in the house. I am not a volunteer walking in. You know the difference? Volunteer walk in, you are given a list of things to do, right? Volunteer is like that, right? And then if anything is not on my list, I don't do law, right? Because this is my Roma, my job, ma, but church, if this is your house, if this is your house, and you know what? This may, may be harder for all of you guys if you are staying at home. It's okay. The day will come, you come in, right? The day will come when you come in. But for all of us, this is our house. You see anything on the floor not right? If it's your house, you pick up, ma, right? You don't wait for somebody, ma, right? So this is what it means to host and make this your home. And so I want to share with you that a welcoming culture, right, is, is, is part of everyone's role. Everybody's role is that we own this place as our church, as our home, and whenever somebody who is unfamiliar walks in, you know, um, the Bible says, if you treat them well, you may have attended to angels without even knowing it, right? But we don't do it because we want to hedge our bets and make sure we, we make sure in case God angel, then we get a good report, right? We don't do it because of that. We do it because God transforms our hearts. And He reminds us that once we were unwelcome. Once we stood on the outside, once we were outside looking in, the door closed on us and we knew what it felt like to be on the outside and so when we have the chance to be the folks on the inside, we would be the kind of people who will open the door and welcome someone in. Amen? Amen? How many of you are you? You, you want to be a welcoming church? How many of you, you want to be a welcoming church? Yeah? Yeah? I know I do, right? I want to be part of a welcoming church, you know? So I want to share with you three things. I'm going to start with paint with the blacks and whites and show you uh, uh, um, the, the biblical basis for it. We're going to be talking about the crux of welcome. Then we're going to be talking about the culture of welcome that I, as your lead pastor here in Sungai Buloh, I want to see as many of us take the plunge and start, start to own a culture of welcome in our church. And then we are going to eventually swim into the grace and look at what happens in some situations when welcome breaks down, okay? Don't worry about that. We're not going to end on the low. We're going to end on Christ, okay? So, so with that, let's just jump straight into the crux of welcome. Church, a lot of the times, okay, we can see the next slide. A lot of the times uh, when, we, when we think about welcome church, uh, you know, uh, shake hands and all those happy smiles, welcoming people, ushers, all that, that is not the crux of welcome. Crux of welcome is not even have a great worship experience. Even that is not the heartbeat, the core of a welcoming culture in church. The core of a welcoming culture in church is that God first welcome us. I'm, gi I'm giving you the, the jawapan ready, okay? Nobody do exam and then show you the jawapan from the start. I'm going to give you the end point, okay? After this, if you remember nothing today, the end point is... The reason why we do welcoming church, the reason why this is important to God, not just to us, not just to pastor, right? Uh, but it's important to God is because He first welcomed us. Really, 
Of course, really. Because the Bible tells us that God welcomed us while we were broken, while we were yet sinners. If you can look at the next slide, you can, you can see this. Through the love of Jesus, right? Because of His great mercy, Ephesians 2. Because of the, His great mercy um, um, and the love, uh, the great love with which He loved us, He what? He welcomed us. He restored us. He gave us life out of death. He didn't need to do it, but He did it because He loved us. Loved us, Ephesians 2 and Romans 5 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He put his own life on the line to create, to open the door for us as well. And we sometimes sing the song, You made the way, right? Right? When we sing, You made the way, how does he make a way? He puts his own life on the line so that we may live. And in Colossians 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. In our trespasses, we were as good as dead, but He gave us life. And why does He do this? Because of the great love with which He loved us, right? Out of His great mercy and love. God wants a welcoming church because He modelled it to us first. And, and because He is daily transforming us into the likeness of the Son, Jesus Christ, through the love of Jesus, we too are going to be a welcoming church, not because of any kind of self-gain. Hey, you can gain a lot by being welcoming one, you know. You can gain a lot by having good rapport with people. There's a lot of self... <coughs> Excuse me. I've got something in my throat. Maybe if I could get a cup of water or something like that, right? Um, for the team. Um, you, can, you, you can stand to gain all kinds of, of perks by being warm, friendly and all that, but we don't do it because of that. I mean, if, if, we, if, if, we, if we enjoy some perks for, by being warm and welcoming, there's a bonus. It's not the reason. The crux is because we are conformed only to Christ. Only to Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's look at the next slide. I want to show you guys this. Because, uh, uh, um, because when God says, next slide, yeah, thanks. Uh, when God says, I want to see a church that is welcoming, the basis is this. Look, Matthew 25, he says, Jesus says this, For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and I am thirsty, and someone is giving me something <laughs> to drink. Um, uh, Jesus says, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. And how many of y'all know what the people say? If you know what the people say uh, uh, um, between verse 36 and 40, okay, say it to the person at home next to you, say it to the person next to you while the, I was thirsty and someone gave me something to drink. What did they say? What did they say? What did they say? When did we ever see you? When did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, uh, homeless, uh, naked, and all these things in prison? When? When did we see you like this, Jesus? Jesus said, truly I tell you, verse 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. So I will tell the Connect team and I will tell uh, uh, all of you guys, it, it, Jesus will walk into our church disguised as anybody. He will walk into this church disguised as anybody and he will come in to take a temperature reading of our church. When he does that, what kind of reading is he going to find? And is he going to get this reading like very warm but very fake? Very warm but doing it for self-gain because they want to attract more people. Is it? Or is he going to get a reading of very warm, very genuine? They really love people here. I love this church. This church is just like me. I will feel at home in this church. Is that the church that, that, that Jesus is going to find when He walks even into our Zoom atmosphere, when He, when, when he sees the way we, we, we connect with one another? Is that what He's going to experience? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the welcoming church is all about reciprocity. It's about reciprocity. Reciprocation, right? At the, at the crux of it, it's that God welcomes us. Then we 
host His presence and we say, and we inadvertently welcome Him because He says, whatever you do to each other, you do to me. So we are welcoming Him. And then He keeps on inviting us into His presence and He hosts us and He welcomes us and then we and entertain one, not just entertaining, but we host and we show hospitality to one another and we host and welcome Him. And the at its crux, a welcome culture in church is a culture of reciprocation, back and forth. It is a beautiful exchange of I love you and you love me and I love you back. And this is why John chapter 15 says, abide in me and not just abide in me, but and what? And I in you. Remain in me and I remain in you. Right? As you remain in my word and my word remains in you. It's about a reciprocal relationship, both mutually inviting and ex uh, inviting and being invited. And that is the heart, the crux of a welcome culture, is that at the heart of it, there is God and God invites you in. He welcomes you in. Okay, that's my first point. That's my first point, okay? So, forgot everything okay you're wondering why is the church must be welcoming one you know it's because god welcomed us first amen so my second point right moving on now this is all of this nice like theology must must be, must be fleshed out ma right we must see it happen ma so we say that god is so good he welcomed us okay okay pastor i'm I, i'm kind of like i'm buying into this i think i want to to be warmer i think i i, I really feel this okay i want to to start being more welcoming how, huh? You know, I want to share with you about a culture of welcome. Okay, if you look at Acts chapter 2, right, uh, um, you see a culture of welcome. Okay, so, so if you can see it on the slide, a culture of welcome looks like this. It's not a standalone. Okay, uh, it's not a standalone. A culture of welcome is something that is embedded into the total fabric of the church. Next slide. Thanks. Okay, uh, embedded into the total fabric of the church. Now, I'm going to read. <coughs> Verse 42, if it's a little small for you, forgive me, okay? Verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching at the top, you see that, okay? And fellowship, right? There's fellowship and friendship to the breaking of bread and prayers. There is communion. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Signs and wonders. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There was common living uh, and there was the togethering. The ministry of togethering was taking place. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was generous giving and there was sharing of their personal things. And then, day by day, they attended the temple together. That's like what we are doing right now. All of you guys attend Zoom call together. All of you guys are in this Sarah together. They attend church together. And then they break bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Hospitality nested right in there. Just before the book end closes where it says, Praising God, having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Evangelism and salvation wraps up this total church experience. Church, a welcome culture, hospitality, opening your doors, sitting someone around your table and breaking bread with them is part of and it's indissoluble. You can't dissolve, you can't put a fire under it and then say that, oh, which part will burn off? Huh? And then like, like hospitality go off, you know, or another part go off, you know. It doesn't work that way. You can't separate it, right? It doesn't mix like oil and water where you can kind of sift out, you know, the cream or something like that. That's not how it works. Hospitality is blended, melded in together with the signs and wonders, with the communion that we do, with the teaching that's happening at the pulpit uh, right now, with, with our sharing and caring for one another, with your going out there and spreading the word. All of these things is mashed together into one 
total church experience. That's why I'm really fixed on this, right? Having a generous, hospitable heart is not the role only of the welcome team. Welcome team have a role, help you check in uh, uh, to your to your Maisejatra, you know, maybe help you find a chair, right? Okay, someone needs to have a formal role of doing that. But hospitality, uh, uh, hospitality a generous, welcoming heart is everybody's role. It's part of church life. Now, before I go any further, I want to uh, 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 say this by means of a disclaimer. We are still living uh, in what felt like the dying embers of a pandemic. Okay, it felt like it is starting to wane and life can go back to normal. And then we are hearing from our doctor friends uh, that that ICUs are starting to, to to fill up again. And so I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, um, if things don't go so well outside, then we have to reduce numbers here again, right? Um, and we will do whatever is responsible as we see the conditions outside. And maybe you are suddenly inspired to host someone in your home. Maybe your cell is thinking of reopening and then you're thinking but maybe not okay so i just want to say this by means of a disclaimer whatever i say here i am sharing with you about a culture that is not just for 2021's december christmas period i'm sharing with you guys a culture for the church life okay and for you to hold on in your heart uh, and say that this is who i'm going to be from now on in my life okay so this is not restricted to pandemic non-pandemic or whatever it is now i'm I, so I, I feel the need to share this because i want to be responsible i don't want you to think that church is pushing you or, or driving you uh, to start opening your house before you are ready or anything like that okay we all want to be responsible as the time permits. But today, I want to teach you something and share with you and, and inspire you to, to hold something in your heart so that as soon as conditions permit, you can take all these things, okay? Shape the heart, then shape the hands, okay? Lead, be led in your heart first, then be led in your body, right? So that, that's just a little disclaimer. I thought it was necessary to get that out. Now, here's the crux let's, let, let, of what a welcoming culture looks like. Let's look at the next slide. Okay, I want to show you that God, God takes meals very seriously. You're thinking, no lah, no lah. He takes prayer altars very seriously. And he takes church service very seriously. And he takes preaching very seriously. But didn't I show you just now that all of these things, plus breaking bread, all of these things come together and you can't separate one from the other. You can't say this, this part of church is more important. Or, you know, why? Because this is the part where people get slain. You know, and that's, that's why it's more important. No, it's not. I want to show you that God treats meals so seriously that some of the most, in fact, I would say that most of the most pivotal points of His journey with the human race Okay, some of the most important milestones that God has when He interfaces with His creation happens over meals. It doesn't just happen over meals. It happens over meals, but wrapping around, sometimes just before a meal, sometimes just after a meal, there is a power encounter. There is a victory encounter between God and the powers in this world, between God and the powers of spiritual darkness. There is always a combination of meals and, and, and power encounter. Okay, I was sharing this with one of my colleagues uh, last night on WhatsApp uh, because we were talking about the sermons we were preaching this Sunday. And, 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 and he was like, wow, I never saw it this way. Uh, um, and I thought, yeah, that's right, right? I also never saw it this way until I heard someone share it uh, to me. And when I saw it, and, and, and that person was just sharing in terms of Psalm 23 and, and, and marriage supper of the Lamb. And then I started to think about it and, and wow, even more came up. So I want to share with you, look at this, right? There is something very special when you open up your house and when people gather around a table, and have their big feasting or very small feasting, you know, because people are nourished and there is a special moment. And I tell you, on that one night uh, in Goshen, right, in Egypt, right, the people of Israel gathered together and it, was a, it, was, it wasn't a, a relaxing meal. They ate it fairly quickly, you know, they, they cooked it in a certain way. They gathered, they ate, they prayed and outside their doors, victory and power was taking place. The, the, the powers of darkness were, were being defeated by the angelic 
host of God. And God started to say that this now becomes a model. It becomes an archetypal meal, an archetype, right? Or, or that this is going to point into the future to that last one. The last one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, you're eating in this condition. And one day, you will eat it in celebration. But at the heart of it, it is the same meaning. The meal here means that we gather, we eat, we are saved. There is power and salvation at work while we gather, you know, and while we do the eating and living and feasting and saving that God brought us together for. Psalm 23 says that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, why won't you fear any evil? On what basis? Who wouldn't be afraid in the valley of shadow of death? Right? It's not just a valley. Valleys are bad. Okay, Valleys are bad because you're at the mercy of anything up in the mountains and you can't see them but they can see you. Right? It could be a sniper. It could be a jackal. Right? Like it could be anything. Valleys are bad news if you are travelling. Right? It's not just a valley. It's a valley of shadow. Right? Hey, you all like being in the dark. Nobody likes being in the dark unless you want to sleep, right? It's a valley and it's a shadow. It's not just any shadow. It's a valley of shadow of death. Alamak, this is the worst place to be in. And why shouldn't you be afraid of walking through the valley of shadow of death? Why? Because at the end of that walk, he lays a table before you. And he lays a table, and at that table, your cup runs over. At that table, he lays it before your enemies to exalt you and to put the enemies in their place. That's what the Psalm 23 table is. He gathers you into a meal, and then he anoints your head with oil. And it is at that meal that he pronounces to you, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. So you, so while you were walking through that valley of shadow of death, you are not walking through it alone. Goodness and mercy followed you. And now I tell you, at the dining table, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And all the rest of the days of Israel, they started to experience that meal times when God gathers and he hosts us. He hosts and how many of y'all you, you you when you pray you ask for God's presence to come and be with you right, at the meal. How many of y'all do that? Even before I was a Christian, I did that. Okay, I, I, I was some other faith, and I also did that. I asked for my God last time to come and be there. Okay, it's very it's it's quite a a, 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 a thing that people do. They host God's presence at meal times. But my friends, don't you think that the Psalm 23 table is not you hosting God? Don't you think that the Psalm 23 table is God hosting you? He lays the table. He is in charge of the cup. He is in charge of the oil. He is in charge of what happens there. He is in charge of where the enemy is. Right? Right? And that's why we sing, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Right? right? Why? Because there at the place of feasting, before the Lord, He calls us in. It's His banquet, right? He goes out and He sends out an invitation. He says, everybody come to my, to my supper, right? That's the Psalm 23 table, right? And then we see in the life of Jesus, it begins with the wedding at Cana. And that meal was also a meal where food, gathering, feasting, celebration meets the supernatural power of God. Power encounter, Food and feasting, right? Now, why? It's so weird. I don't get it. But it's there. Power encounter, food and feasting always coming together. And the wedding at Cana is a picture pointing forward. Forward to what? The last one. Marriage supper of the Lamb. It is at this place where, where Jesus, soon to be, or it's not soon to be, later to be the groom himself, right, is going to show you the power and the wine will flow. The ordinary becomes extraordinary at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we see a low-rest version at the wedding at Cana, right? And then the feeding of 5,000. Don't you remember Ezekiel 34 that the gods scolded the shepherds of Israel and told them that one day I myself will, will, will come and shepherd my flock. One day I will, I will bring them to pastures and make them lie down and they will feast and they will be safe. He said that, right? That's the Psalm 23 table. For all, the, the Lord is my 
shepherd, right? And then at John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, right? And, and later at John 21, remember John 21? Uh, after he had resurrected again, power encounter, right? He had resurrected and then he broils fish. Oh my word, he brought fish and then he asked his disciples who came back from a fishing uh, 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 trip, he tells them, come eat breakfast. And then they go there with their fish, but he was already broiling fish uh, um, over a barbecue and then he eats with them. And at that eating point with them, John 21 breakfast, he says to Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Why? Feeding of the 5,000. Ezekiel 34, I will feed my sheep. Feeding of the 5,000, I will feed my sheep. John 21, feed my sheep. And of course, we know at the Last Supper, the most pivotal night before His crucifixion, He gathered His people around for a meal. And at that meal, He shared with them His heart. Just before that meal, He washed their feet. At that meal, He shared with them, this is my body broken for you, right? And every time you do this, do it to remember me. This is the cup, new covenant in my blood. As, so, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me, my sacrifice. Feasting, eating, celebrating, hosting hospitality. Jesus hosts his people and around the hosting table is power encounter. And then today, all of us partake communion. Now, you know what? We don't partake communion only once a month, as if when you come to church and you have that thing and all that, that alone is communion. In one sense, it is. That is our communion service and that is when we partake of the Lord's Supper together formally to remember Him. But you know what? There was once I was eating with a friend. Right, a friend and his and, and some other friends plus his family. And as we were eating, before we were eating, uh, he said grace. And he said grace, and maybe if you've eaten with me, you've heard me pray this way, I learned from him, okay? He said, uh, um, Lord, we ask that you bless this food, blah, 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 blah. He, he, he prayed, and then he ended his, his grace by saying, may this meal remind us of your body broken, your blood shed for the remission of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was the first time I had dinner and the dinner was prayed over like communion. And then we shared, we ate, we, we, we had a great time together, you know, and, and we've had many more meals since then. And I have had many more meals since then where I pray that same prayer whenever I break bread with my family or with friends, you know. And, and I want to share this with you. Pray like that when you eat around your own dining table with your family. Let your children hear it, right? Um, with, let, let your parents hear it, you know? Why? Because every time you gather around... By the way, this is not to trivialize or to be irreverent about, about communion, okay? You, you, you guys know, we are super, not, we are super reverent about our communion, right? But what, is, what are we doing? We are taking communion out from a ritual and turning it into part of daily... It becomes embodied. Our bodies and our daily lives become part of it. Communion goes into your home. It is not just a church ritual with a little wafer, okay? It now becomes a meal. And at that meal, Jesus hosts you. Not just you host Jesus, Jesus hosts you. And it's His dinner. It's His time, which, by the way, makes the dinner time sacred. Now, I share with you I am quite picky with tidy eating. Okay, I'm quite picky. My wife knows I'm quite tidy with 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 um, with tidy eating. And my kids uh, 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 were quite dexterous, so they so they would touch their food. And when they were very young, you know, and, and like baby lad feeding and stuff like that. So 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 they were like, and sometimes their hand-eye coordination would be like they grab like the mush and then they're like. <laughs> no, 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 sweetie, your mouth is here, right? And they're like, and, and, and they are the back now, right? They are, they're, they're, they've got, they've got hand-eye coordination sorted by now. But, but the, there was a time when they would eat, and their food would be every there's less food in their stomach, more food on the table, on their tray, and all around them, right? It's like, wow, wow, oh my gosh, this is bad, right? Um, I used to get really tense and really up 
tight at the at, at our dining table. And I'll be like, eat, sit, yeah, eat, yeah, one more mouth. I'm going to count to 20. Chew, chew, chew. Eat, yeah, yeah. And I will be the biggest monster. I'm not kidding you guys. I'm the biggest monster at the dining table. Be all, my most impatient version of Fergus Ong is at his dining table feeding his kids, right? Just kids, right? But I will become an absolute like like cra crazy man, okay? Um, and then like 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 drop here, I'll be like, hey, yeah. I mean, I still I still I still see these things, and I and I go like, um, yeah, there's a piece of rice there. You see it, right? Oh yeah, okay, we see it, right? So that 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 was me, okay? Like for for like maybe um the first. I mean, married 10 years, you know, my, my, I'm married 11 years, my daughter's 10 now. Um, maybe for the first 6-7 years, I really was like that, you know. And then I start to learn that the dining table is sacred. Because when you say grace, when you amen to your grace, you are no longer just hosting God. God is hosting you. And when God hosts you, you can't saja saja go into his meal and go like, Oi, son, yeah, 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 eat, yeah, come, I count, one, two, three, eat. Uh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Your host is there watching like, can you behave yourself, young man? You know, son, can you behave yourself? I don't treat you that way. Why are you treating your son that way, right? Um, I, 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 these days, I feel him saying that. I hear his voice uh, kind of like gently chiding me and saying that, can you, can you pull yourself together? This is my meal. You know, you don't, you don't talk that way to my son, you know, at my meal, right? I'm like, sorry, sorry, father, sorry, father. I'll be, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a better father. <laughs> I'll be a better father, you know? And honour his hosting moment. Honour his hosting moment. And you know, why am I saying this? Because the day will come when you can open your doors. You can open your doors and you will you will, I know, Sunai Bullet Church, you will bring people in, you will host them, but it won't just be you hosting them, it will be God hosting all of you at your meals, you know, and it will be there when power, victory, salvation, evangelism, signs, wonders, friendship, giving, sharing, all of teaching, all of those things happening over the dinner table. All of this points forward to the one-day marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't you know, Revelation 19, the whole thing ends, right, in a great celebration and in the penultimate chapters of, of, of your whole Bible, there is a huge feast. And we go back and we are married, uh, uh, the, the, the church married, as it were, to Christ our groom and we celebrate in a holy feasting meal together. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And this is the basis, okay? So let's look at the next slide. Let's look at the next slide. Because I want to show uh, 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 you guys, tell you guys about something. Uh, I recent, not too recent, but over the last one year, um, uh, don't worry about the slide. If you, if you guys just can't quite see it, you know, if, if there's a problem with the broadcast, don't worry about it, okay? I want to share with you all some stories, okay? So, my friends, um, I recently uh, uh, came across um, uh, uh, a write-up by um, this theologian. Her name is Felicia Masonheimer. Okay, so even if you can't see it on the screen, okay, um, the team can put it on the uh, on the Zoom chat. There is a link there, and it tell it tells you about the basis for hospital biblical hospitality. Why biblical hospitality is so important. Um, uh, team, if the if the sharing screen is not working, you can just take it down for a bit, and we'll just put it up and see if that works again. Okay, now um, biblical hospitality. Now it's very important. Biblical hospitality is not the same as entertaining, okay? Sometimes you think that you're entertaining guests. You know what? When you open your house, you have an open house and you entertain that, that occasion. And when you entertain your friends and your house, it's about you. And it's about your house. And it's about your meal, okay? That's what entertaining is. Biblical hospitality is about them. It's not about you. It's about them. Okay, so when you open up your home for hospitality, it's not just about, um, the, don't, don't get fixated about your house. Sometimes you might feel like, oh, my house is very messy. Uh. Pastor, you don't understand. I cannot simply, you know what? You know what, friends? Athalia and I, we lived in a 900 square foot walk-up apartment. Okay, like, like I'm telling you guys, there wasn't a lot of space in there. And 
And I remember the night before Isabel was born. This is like we're talking 10 years and a month ago, right? The night before Isabel was born, we hosted a friend in our house, right? Uh, we had butterfish because we found butterfish in Jaya Grocer, right? And, and we hosted this friend and we watched a movie on our computer screen together. We ate together. We spent time catching up together. Athelia was full term and any day can pop, right? Okay? And... And we hosted that friend. We watched a movie. We chatted, you know. And then maybe, I don't remember what time, but maybe 11-ish, you know. Uh, uh, um, this friend uh, went down. We walked him down, you know. Walked him out because like, like you know, visitors uh, 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 didn't even... We did small apartment. Don't even have visitor car park, you know. Uh, so either I parked my car outside and let him park in my spot or something like that. And then we sent him off. And then X number of hours later, we woke up. You know, and, 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 and baby was about to be born, right? And I'm sharing this story with you so that you know that friends, your house, how small, what conditions you have, it's not about that. Like, oh, person cannot lah, I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, no, no, you can. You can actually, you know, right? Because, because we've experienced it and after it's not about us. It's about them. And, and on that night, this one single guy, cell member to us back then, he got to experience life with us. And our lives became a little open door for him to experience. Uh, um, uh, we testified to, I, we, we weren't like super aware of it, but inadvertently, we testified to the love of Jesus. To him, we showed him that day, and we weren't so clever. We just wanted to host him, right? Um, but inadvertently, he saw that Jesus loves him, and he saw that actually, you know what? Having people over is not about the house. There was a pile of books in the corner. Then there was like next to the dining table, there was like so little space, and we had some things, you know, at the side next to the fridge. I used to sit in the spot between like all those things and the fridge, and it was like so cramped, you know. Um, and but we, but that's what our life was. And that friend came in. We watched. TV, we watched a movie on the computer screen, you know, for goodness sakes. It wasn't a great kind of like entertaining experience. We weren't, uh, um, we, we didn't have much by means of great hosting, but I think that friend felt hosted. And I think that's the most important thing about biblical hospitality. Don't worry about your house. Your house will never be big enough. Okay? And when your house is too big, it's big enough, it's probably too big. And you're thinking like, oh my gosh, no lah, it's very this, it's very that, you know. Um, your house will never be tidy enough. Okay? It will never be tidy enough to hold someone, you know. Um, and you know what? Move away from the fixation that my house must be perfect before I can invite someone into it, you know. Because guess what? They are not looking for that perfection. They are looking for how you make them feel, not how the house makes them feel, right? So, I mean, basic standards, cleanliness, make sure there's no dog hair in your food, you know? Um, uh, some, some basic thresholds are important. But then, you know what? The focus is on the people coming in, loving them, sharing a meal with them, sharing life with them. So, church, a month and a half ago, we had our leaders advance. I stood right here in this exact spot, pointing in this exact direction with the leaders uh, um, here. And I told all our Sungai Buloh leaders, this is my commitment to you. I will not pack your church calendar up with so many things and so many weeknights until you have no time to be hospitable to people. You all remember this, leaders, right? Yeah, I said this, I said this, and I'm determined to make this our Sungai Bulo culture. Church, you're already a cell one night, right? Maybe you attend some, some other thing. Our prayer altar Saturday morning, I intentionally set it on a Saturday morning so that what? It's not clashing with your weeknights. You all can have your weeknights to host people. So church, I want you all to know this. Your weeknights, non-cell night, set one night aside every once in a while. Be ready to open your home, okay? And don't, there's no excuse, that says, oh, cannot lah, I've got prayer meeting, I've got leaders meeting, I've got this discipling, I've got that thing, I've got this thing, I've got this thing. Like, like some of us will have rehearsal once in a while, worship team, okay? Uh, some of us will have ELM on a Tuesday night. Once in a while, these things will be there, okay? But let it not be that church stands in the way for you to host, to let God host you and your and your friends. You know why? Because and if you, because you know what? If you are not actively serving, 
okay, actively serving and in a kind of like face-to-face -face way, either on-site or even online, okay, if you are not uh, preaching, teaching, you know, if you are not evangelizing, and if on top of this you are not opening up your home or opening up your life, doesn't have to be your home, you can meet people outside one, it's okay one, okay, if you're not opening up your life to be hospitable, how are you fulfilling the Great Commission? How? If you're not preaching, teaching, and there are only a handful of us doing that, in cells, if, you, if you're not the fellow who is like leading word and all that, if you are not actively serving in a people type of way, how are you fulfilling the Great Commission? If you're, this is the lowest entry, this is the best way for you to fulfill the Great Commission, is to gather around the table with food. We're Malaysians, we love food anyway, right? Gather around the table and enjoy a meal and become a witness to what God is doing and testify in a living, breathing, eating way. Okay, so SIBKL, this is our culture. Sungai Bulo Church, this is going to be our culture. Okay, I don't know if the slides can move on, but I do want to move on. And my first point, okay, was the crux of welcome. We host and welcome because God first hosted and welcomed us. Okay, the second point is that we have a culture of welcome. And Sungai Bulo Church, I really want us to take hold of this. Okay, to take hold of a culture of welcome. Day by day, we won't find it overnight. Okay, we won't find it overnight. We can't anyway. COVID uh, limits some of, some of our expressions of this. But I want to move on now to this final point because I think it's important now to eventually swim into the greys, not just in the black and whites. Okay, um, earlier it seemed very straightforward, but I want to bring you into some of the nuances. Um, I've shared with you why it's so important to have open doors to have people walk into your life and to welcome people in a warm way, to be prepared to host and be hosted. That's very important. But I want to share with you now on some occasions, the occasions in which a welcome culture breaks down. And I'm not saying that a welcome culture breaks down as in if we purposely make it break down. I'm sharing with you now that sometimes things genuinely do breakdown and it makes welcome difficult and i and i i share with you about welcome you know with much ambition you know in the hope that all of you will take it seriously as i am learning to take it seriously myself but i don't want some of us to take this sermon and then bring it to certain people and say, ha, see, you see, Pastor Fergus says that you must be more welcoming to me, okay? Because there are some situations where things have broken and things have broken down and it makes a welcoming culture harder. So, what does this look like? For example, sometimes, sometimes trust in a relationship is broken. Sometimes trust in a relationship is broken and it's very difficult to repair. Sometimes we violate the boundaries that were sacred around us. And having violated them, we hurt people. We harmed people. Sometimes we betray each other. Sometimes we, sometimes we act in ways that cause people to feel unloved, unappreciated, unwanted. And, and when we think about a welcome culture, we have to eventually bring our feet onto the ground and to say, how is this going to work with the people around me? And for maybe majority of the people around you, it's going to be okay. You can invite them over or you can go out for a meal. You can open your life and open your, your, your doors to them and it will not be complicated. But for some of us in our lives, either someone has wounded us and we are the aggrieved party or sometimes we have wounded someone else in sin. And because of that, there is a break. And remember just now we sang Hari Ini. Tiada yang dapat memisahkan kita, right? Because God heals. God brings people together. God is in charge of reconciliation. And sometimes we break things. I'm going to be a bit more specific 
so that you can go one layer deeper in with me. Sometimes we are talking about infidelity in marriage. When one party cheats on the other and the wounds and the betrayal can go extremely deep. Sometimes there is abuse. There can be physical abuse. There can be sexual abuse. There can be um, abuse of power if there is a power dynamic. Sometimes all of these things happen in and about the same relationships. And the violation is very serious. Sometimes we physically harm one another. Sometimes we are reckless. And through our recklessness, we cause people to lose their loved ones. Or we cause people to be harmed and, and impaired and injured. Maybe, maybe to spend the rest of their lives with their bodies altered. Sometimes these things can happen. And I don't want two outcomes. I don't want anybody to take this if you were the uh, griever. You harm someone and then you are all your, spend your life ever since then trying to reach out and say, forgive me lah, why won't you reconcile? And you say, Christians must reconcile one, you know, I know I did wrong, right? And can we make things back to where it used to be, right? And I don't want you to take this sermon and go and wave it and say, ha, you see, Pastor Fergus said you must. So I, so, 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 so I, I insist that you reconcile with me, right? I don't want you doing that, okay? And if you're doing that, I'm telling you, no, it doesn't work. It's not so simple. It's not so simple. Forgiveness and reconciliation on paper will always be a Christian uh, uh, goal and an end point. It is. I'm not minimizing that. But forgiveness and reconciliation, in reality, is always a miracle. It's always a miracle. And even if it happens frequently, it will be a frequent occurrence of a miracle, but it will always be miraculous for God to change a hardened heart and soften it to give and receive forgiveness. It is always miraculous. And forgiveness and reconciliation, when wounds and break has happened, will always never will never be an entitlement to be expected. So, if you have hurt someone and you have been, for some reason, the cause of a relationship breaking down, I know how painful it is. I have experienced it myself. And every day, if the relationship is close enough to you, every day you will long for that relationship to be restored. And when you hear a sermon like this, you might even be saying, Yala, they are Christian. They should have welcoming culture also. Right? Why can't they have a welcoming culture? Slow down. Slow down. The reality on the ground is that some, some fractures on this side of eternity by our own human ability, might even be irreparable. I said, by our own human ability. Actually, some of them are irreparable. One. But God is a miracle-working God. And so if that is you, I want to encourage you, don't focus on that person. Because in wounding them, you also wounded God, right? In, in, when I wounded someone, I also wounded God. And I really think that my duty is not to chase for reconciliation with them first. It's to chase for reconciliation with God first. And sometimes God, even after my reconciliation with Him, He will tell me, not yet. Sometimes He will tell me, slow down, because I'm still working on them. Which is why I want to move to the next point. Is that if you were the one aggrieved, and you hear a sermon like this and you say, Pastor, I'm not ready. Why do I feel that your sermon pressuring me to open up to someone whom I don't feel safe around? You know, they betrayed me. I still feel the wound. I still feel the hurt. Or this person still continues to make me feel unsafe. This person uh, uh, um, uh, 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 did something wrong, violated something about my life before. And I don't feel safe. I don't want, Pastor. I don't want to welcome them. And I want you to know and hear that nobody is pressuring you to. And if God one day does something to restore them and to restore the relationship, it is God's miracle. Reconciliation is always a miracle. But I am not sharing this with you to pressure you to feel that you need to welcome people whom you don't feel safe around. Some betrayals break to the point that you will need time and you may never reach that point. But God is working in the wounds. You must know that God is working in the wounds. 
some 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 trust gets broken some people are just not safe and a welcoming culture does not mean that you are reckless and you just invite any old person into your life and into your house or whatever and then and allow them have free access to your children free access to your home that's not welcoming culture that's not what i'm trying to encourage you to what there is always wisdom but there is always, if you are the one, you feel unsafe, you feel not sure whether you are prepared to welcome someone, it is okay. I don't want you to feel pressured. Church, we are okay with this? We are okay with this? Now, I want to offer now a time for ministry because in the, as the way I'm landing here, I really want to give us all the opportunity to know that God, let's cycle back to the front, God is the one who welcomes us first. And if you are the one who has caused a fracture in a relationship and you've been standing outside the door for the longest time, maybe even you're, you're, you are standing outside the door with God and you've been so far from Him because you never got called out and you never owned up to a problem that you have before the Lord. And you're standing outside the door and you're saying, God, I wish I could be in that space again. And then He's saying, can you revisit this and own up to the problems that were there? You refuse to. For the longest time, you refuse to. You insist. You dig your heels. You say, no, I wasn't the one in the wrong. It was their fault. It was their fault. And the more you dig your heels in, the door cannot open. The door cannot open between you and God because you insist that you that you you are only the correct one and, and you have no responsibility in this. It was all someone else's fault. Always someone else's fault. And God wants to say, my child, my child, can you hear what I'm saying to you? Now, He's saying something to you. I don't know what He's saying to you, but He's ministering to you right now. If that is you, I want you to open your hands. I want to pray with you because I want you to reach a place where you can say, God, God, I want to be vulnerable before you and I want to be welcomed back into your courts again. And if that means that I'm going to have to revisit something old and, 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 and I'm going to have to say finally and say, I'm sorry, okay, yes, I did wrong, I repent, okay, it was, I had a part to play, I did wrong as well. I'm sorry, forgive me, I repent. Lord, I know I've been hiding, I've been running, I've been, I, I've been avoiding you. Forgive me, I repent. If that is you and you've been standing outside of God's door and you're saying, why won't He open? I thought He's a welcoming God. He is waiting to welcome you. But He is waiting also for you to open up your heart. Remember, it is mutual reciprocation. That's why the, the Bible says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If anyone would open the door of their heart and let me in, I will come in and what? And sup with you. Another, another power encounter and a meal coming together. Church, church, today, we want to come before God and come clean. Now, if you are also, if you are in the other part, you were wounded and you can't welcome people, you find it hard to love, you find it hard to host, you find it hard to open up because you have been wounded before and you find it hard to trust. I understand that. I understand that. There are some people who betrayed me and I feel really, really hard to trust them again as well. But my friends, Maybe for me, I don't have to see that person anymore. So, you know, maybe, I, I, maybe for you, you have to face them again and again and again. And so, my friends, if that is you, you're struggling and you say, Pastor, I'm not ready to welcome them. It's okay. But maybe allow God into your heart today so that He can start ministering into your wound, ministering into the betrayal, ministering into the pain and let Him heal you. Open your hands right now. Whether you're on one side of the closed door or whether you're on the other side of the closed door, I want to invite you to pray right now. Father, we pray, Father God, and ask for you to come into the deepest, most private parts of our memories, of our life experiences and bring about healing. Bring about healing to wounds. Father, if, if, if boundaries were violated and broken and we were hurt or we hurt someone else, Father, I pray that you will restore. 
I pray, Lord God, that you will touch the parts deep, deep, and it's a holy healing touch. It is not the touch that brings about wounds. It's a touch that brings about restoration to wounds. It is the holy hands of God that touches to heal, touches to bless, touches to make whole again. Holy Spirit, I pray that you reach deep into every wound, whether it's the wound of being hurt or the wound of the guilt of having hurt someone. I pray that you minister to all of us right Right now oh father i pray right now in the name of jesus christ be healed every wound start closing in the name of jesus every pain every painful memory in the name of jesus christ start to be covered by the power of the blood of jesus christ the power of the blood of the cup that we drink together as a family start to be healed and be covered under the blood of jesus christ Father, we pray, Father God, that you remove every guilt for every sinner, and aren't we all sinners? For every sinner, we confess our sins right now. Father, forgive us. We were wrong. We wounded someone. We hurt someone. We were selfish. We took more than they would give. And we, and, and we violated boundaries. We violated trust. We violated relationships. We broke covenant. We wounded and hurt people. Forgive us forgive us. Lord, today I want to give this guilt over to the cross for Jesus Christ to carry. I no longer want to carry. I cannot carry it. It's weighing on my heart. For years it's been weighing on my heart. I'm okay until I hear that name and the guilt comes back. I'm okay until I hear about that project and the guilt comes back. I'm okay until I hear about those years and the guilt comes back. I give it all to the cross. Forgive me. Forgive me for my failure in this area. Forgive me. The Bible says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I want you to know that if you are repenting right now, the blood of Jesus covers you, makes you white as snow. And so far has He separated you from, from your sins. As far as the east is from the west, He has separated you from your wrongdoing and from your sin. Because on this moment, as you confess, that wrongdoing has been placed and, and purged on the cross. And Jesus Christ has paid for it. He has paid for it to set you free. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And that's why it's called grace. It's unmerited. It's unmerited love, unmerited favour, unmerited mercy of God. Thank you. So if you're repenting, I want you to say, thank you, God. I don't deserve this. All lagi, I thank you, because I don't deserve it. And for you, if you, if you are in this place where you're saying, God, I don't know how to heal. I've been wounded. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've been, I've been, I've been broken. And I can't trust this person again. And, and, and church, I want you to know, forgiveness doesn't mean that everything immediately goes back to how it used to be. Maybe it never goes back. But reconciliation can still take place in the heart. Forgiveness can still be, re, be, be given in the heart. And maybe we start there today. Maybe we start there today. Father, help us to forgive. If I've been carrying bitterness in my heart, unforgiveness, anger, rage. I've been carrying rage because of how someone wounded me. And I'm just, I, I, I am just bitter and vengeful. Forgive. Teach me to forgive. I know I can't forgive. On my own, I can't forgive. But Lord, you can. You can. For we wounded and harmed you. From time immemorial, we, we have been chasing after one idol after another. We've been violating our covenant and our marriage to you from the start. And yet, and yet you sacrifice at your own expense so that we can be made whole with you again in this same way, Lord. Help us to forgive. Just a little bit today, help us to forgive. Help us take the first step. And open my heart. Show us the way to your heart. Father, I pray, Make me more like Jesus. Oh, Father, we pray, make me more like Jesus. So as we lift up our hands, Lord God, to praise you, more of you means less of me. May I decrease so that you increase. 
May my own pain decrease so that your healing can increase. May my own bitterness be receding and receding so that your sweetness can fill my heart again. May my unforgiveness be decreased so that your forgiving heart can increase. May my guilt decrease so that your forgiveness and restoration grow in me and take root and become like a mighty tree, like a mighty oak tree. May I stand anchored in your love. Church, next week we'll be starting our Advent series. We are moving towards Christmas. This afternoon after church, a group of us will be decorating the church just a little bit with a Christmas tree, some lights, just to, just to help those who walk in remember the occasion. And that gives us the opportunity to share about Jesus. It really is ultimately all about Jesus. And as we go into December, some of you in cells might be gathering safely. Some of you might be going out for a safe meal with someone across the table. Some of you might be opening up your house to family and you all meet each other. You're in the same bubble. I want to encourage you, during this Christmas season, this Christmas month, as you open up your house, you open up and spread a table. Remember that it is God's dinner party. And He is the host. And even you, as the co-host, become a guest at His table. And at His table, there is honour of one another. At His table, there is love. And at His table, there is healing and salvation. Let us pray. Father, we bless your holy name. And we pray, Father God, that as we step into December, we can step into it in the right posture. Father, the worst thing we can do is to be stressed about Christmas dinners and to be, or even to fight about Christmas dinners or to be angry with one another or to be awkward around Christmas dinners. Lord, the best way to do Christmas dinners through the month of December is to let you host us. And then we all come and we can join hands, join heart, or even by social distancing. And we know Christ at the centre of the meal. And let every Christmas dinner point toward the marriage supper of the Lamb, so that power and presence and food feasting come together as God has always mysteriously intended for it to be. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you His shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. Come on church, may the Lord bless you, keep you, shout aloud, Amen.